This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. The speech I would make would last 35 seconds, and it would go pretty much like this. This is an extraordinary time in which we are living. I'm going to work. Let's get this vaccine out to everybody. See ya. I mean, I think that would make people happy. I do. Yeah, I, I would mean, like make that. Me happy. I would like that. But I, I think like the, the, the issue is what he says doesn't really matter. And same with the previous guy, because so many people just aren't listening. They don't care. what he, There's nothing he can say. For a certain second. Nigel, what do you got? I'm seeing reports that Biden is going to have an opening act. I think it's going to be Jeff Ross will be opening for him. So. <laughs> this is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. All righty then. Um, Michael is here, six feet one inches away at Uncle Benny's table. My uh, email friend, Sean Reese, who is a producer for the Today Show, I emailed him yesterday because he's in town for the inauguration. I said, in other circumstances, we would have you sit at Uncle Benny's table and we would have you sit in on the show, but we're going to have to wait until uh, our social beings can take over again. I would just say this about Inauguration Day. Uh, we will have Chris Eliza on in a little bit, so Chris will talk about it in much greater detail. It is one of those quadrennial events like the Olympics when the Olympics are on, and leap year, you know, it, it, it's not every year. It's every four years. You, you don't even think about it for an awfully long time, and then an election happens, and there is an inauguration day that is mandated in the Constitution to be January 20th, I believe. I think it's in the Constitution. But it's become the custom that it's January 20th all the time. It might be at noon. I'm not sure. I'll ask Chris about that. But I tend, and I think my son tends as well, to look at the world through the eyes of an English major. And we spent so much time in our lives reading books and talking about symbolism. And some symbolism is obvious and some is subtle and some is nuanced. And I'm not smart enough to get the nuanced stuff. Michael is, I'm not. But when you wake up on an inauguration day and you know that the previous year is a year of despair, despair on, on every level, if you recall, and I do recall this, there were two things that happened very early when the coronavirus came upon us. One was that people said you don't have to wear masks. Even the medical experts said you don't have to wear masks. And shortly thereafter, a couple of months later, they said, oh, you ought to wear masks. And then there was a study, and I believe the study was from the University of Washington, the first study. I could be wrong on this. I'm often wrong. And the first study that was alarming said that as many as 180,000 people could die. And that was when Anthony Fauci said, if we wear masks and we try to flatten this curve and we have social distancing, we can get under that number. But if we don't, we can't. 180,000 people would die. That was the extremist view, 180,000. Yesterday we passed 400,000. And nobody among us would be stunned if it didn't go to 800,000. Nobody would be stunned now. It's an unbelievable amount of people. It is the most 
in the world. Our country, allegedly the smartest, allegedly the richest, allegedly the most prepared for everything and the most democratic, certainly. And I would endorse all of those other things that I said. We've done the worst with it. We've done the worst with it. Over 400,000 people have already died from this virus. So it is a year of despair. And then you get an inauguration for a new president. And overnight, in the capital of the United States of America, there's a soft rain that falls. And that rain in all of the literature in the world is designed to wash something away. And in this case, it would wash away uh, the despair. And then a freshening wind comes up. And if you were out this morning, you know, not just that it was chilly, but that it felt good, that there was a wind that felt clean. And then that symbolism is the hope of the next year. And the hope, of course, rides with vaccination and the hope rides with a new administration. I'm not going to get too crazy about this, but Michael, I wondered if you felt the same as I did. No, I felt I felt exactly the same. And I think it's important to look to what happened last night and to the symbolism as to the, the image around the reflection pool and to heal we must remember. And the moment where we all have, where we're looking back at ourselves and you look back at these moments where if we knew what we knew now about masks, where would we have been? Or if we knew how to admit that we were wrong and how we can move on from that. So you have that pausing moment as you can take, you can take a moment of just where are we now, as, as you sometimes like to say, and then you get the cleansing rain and then you get this freshening wind and you get, you sort of look as you have the changing of the garden go, yeah, you leave the windows open for a couple hours before yeah. you come in afternoon, uh, you know, today, but no, I'm with you hundred percent. Certain this, optimism. There is this optimism rebirth. literally in the air. And that's why it's so important to see what these first 100 days bring yep. and with the promises about the vaccine rollout. So the other day when I was on, I complained bitterly that Phil Spector was not on A1. And I said he should be on A1. And then I read a few paragraphs from Glenn Rifkin's obituary in the Washington Post. And I didn't mean to be dismissive. Um, I was just carrying a certain amount of anger that Phil Spector wasn't on A1. You didn't, you didn't mean to be dismissive? I guess I was You dismissive. understand the power of words and the power of the order and structure. There's an order to everything. There's an yeah. order to an obit. So, I w uh, well, I used to like to write obituaries, and the reason was obituaries always start the same. You name the person. There is a clause that explains the person. You say the person died, and then you're all at the starting gate together, and then the best writers win as the obit goes on. That is the formula for obituary writing. I have an email from Glenn Rifkin here. It says, hi, I'm the guy who wrote the Phil Spector obit in the Washington Post. I appreciate the shout out on your podcast this morning. And since I've been a very big fan of yours forever, I thought I'd say hello. I'm a journalist and author in the Boston area and a longtime contributor to the New York Times. I've been a business writer for many decades and I've written obits for the Times for more than 10 years. The Post asked me to write for them about a year ago. Anyway, I agree with you that Spector should have been on A1 and my editor, Adam Bernstein, lobbied hard for that. But alas, the country is on the edge of civil war. COVID is killing legions daily. And D.C. looks a lot like Baghdad circa 2004. So I guess they didn't feel that a crazy old former record producer deserved the space. Note that the Times didn't put it on A1 either. As for criticism of the obit itself, I have to take issue with you on that. It isn't fair to read the first two graphs and say it wasn't enough. That was a long article filled with the details and impact of his career. I don't think I sold him short, though he was very short. And I'd be curious how you would have started it, given your newspaper man credentials. Anyway, there's no doubt that Phil Spector was a compelling figure, perhaps the embodiment of the intersection of artistic genius and madness. Again, thanks for the mention. If you ever want a guest to talk about what it's like to write obits, let me know. I'd love to be on your show. This is a very, very polite and wonderful email. Um... It slaps me on the hand a little bit, and rightfully so. 
Uh, Glenn Rifkin is right. I was wrong. I, I just, um, you know, I just thought that Phil Spector was enormously important. I've also gotten email from people about my comment that outside of musicians, um, Phil Spector and George Martin were the most important people in the history of rock and roll and a number of people most nastily done by Mike from Burke, Virginia, most dismissively and nastily done from Mike from Burke, Virginia. So I don't know that I'm going to get to that one. I don't know that I am. Um, but they point out, for example, Barry Gordy, uh, and certainly that's true. Barry Gordy, enormous influence on rock and roll, the creator of Hitsville, the creator of Motown. Sam Phillips, legendary record producer, Sun Records, oh, right. uh, yeah. opening up rock and roll um, to poor white and poor black people uh, and, and giving them voice uh, and a place to make records. Both well noted, uh, absolutely true. I mean, I would stand on Phil Spector as among those people. I probably shouldn't have limited it to Phil Spector and George Martin. So again, I've been slapped around, and and it's you know it's all right. People are right. I I don't. I'm not the final authority in a lot of things. People are right. So thank you, thank you for correcting me. From Ian in New Jersey, in Jersey City. Do you remember Ian? Ian is the one who sent the ravioli. Yes. Oh, he sent the right. ravioli, and he said all he wanted was a shout-out on PTR. The large ravioli. The large ravioli that we have not cooked yet. That we have not cooked yet. That may go missing today. You know, mm, <laughs> I don't know. Here's Ian writing. I debated for no less than 10 minutes whether or not to add just kidding after my PTI shout-out request. I'm so glad I did not add it. I was in tears laughing while listening to you gently close the door on the request. Listening to another episode and hearing that you're looking forward to sharing a meal with your family is thanks enough. Neither Wilbon nor I were surprised to hear Michael wanted to take the box home. If you haven't opened the box already, and I have not, the ravioli come in sheets of 25, fairly easy to transport and share if you're into that. Alternatively, ravioli are on sale, but this was the 16th and 17th of January. That is past now. Use the code, people, SALE20. Hearing sugar in the conversation made me nervous. Some notes. Use a larger pot than you think you'll need to boil the water and cook the ravs. Once the water is boiling, salt liberally. Add the ravs and keep them moving. If they stick, they rip. Nobody likes ripped, deflated ravs. Nobody. Uh-uh. Strain or drain, add sauce, cheese if you like, and enjoy. P.S. Imagine my surprise while watching PTI, a ravioli man shout out. My wife and I got a kick of it. It was a great start to our weekend. Thank you. That happened on Friday, and so I thought that was nice. From John Tagliarini in Ankeny, I guess, Iowa. Nothing says skewing younger like my favorite news segment, Where's the Obit? Tony and Jeannie complaining about the location in the printed edition of the Washington Post. From Joel Westbrook in Madison, Virginia, and he will speak to this point that Mike from Burke, Virginia did in such a dismissive, nasty way, which I expect. Dear Dr. Satchmo, long, long time, second or third time in the future, when you list important non-performers in rock and roll, put George Martin and Phil Spector wherever you want, but not first. His name was Sam Phillips, and he opened the door of Sun Records to black and white poor boys. Rhythm and blues walked in as did rockabilly, and rock and roll walked out. He's probably right. And one more, maybe two more. Peter O'Brien, who's in uh, County Tipperary in Ireland. Just to let you know, daylight savings time was originally a Scandinavian invention. Due to the northern latitudes and long winters there, the Swedish government introduced it to optimize the growing season in the steel fields. Hope this helps. Makes a lot of sense. Um, Ron in Maryland. So you're turning your anger to whoever is responsible for when the sun rises. Let us know how that works out. 
<laughs> and from Noah. And Noah is our boy, right? That's right, right. Noah and NASA. Our man at NASA, yes. And he writes, Mr. Modern Day Galileo, your observation of how the sunrise and sunset isn't changing at the same rate is correct. The reason this happens is that in our winter, the Earth is closer to the sun than in the summer. And because we are slightly closer, the Earth is actually moving faster in its orbit around the sun. For complex reasons, this makes the length of the day longer than 24 hours. While in the summer, the Earth is farther from the sun and is orbiting more slowly, the day is slightly shorter than 24 hours. My phone disagrees with you. That change in the length of a day isn't spread evenly over the time the sun is up, leading to the sunset being later in the day relative to the sunrise. This guy works for NASA. What do you mean your phone is disagreeing? I'm, I'm just talking about the construct of time when you look at your actual clock. And what are you supposed time. to trust? Time. Flat time line. has come today. You ever, ever, we don't have the Chambers Bros. We don't do old guy anymore. We could do, boom, time has come today. Where are we in this show? This is probably almost time to get out. I wanted to mention one other thing. I am one of those people, as you know, that likes human contact. I don't like computer contact. I don't like when it says contact us and you have to type some crap into I, the computer. I actually thought you loved that type of contact considering you write into every customer service. But what I like is to be able ultimately to get somebody on a phone. I got a phone bill. I got a bill the other day from Comcast that was outrageously high because it was two months. And they claimed I had not sent in the month that was due and they charged me a late fee. And I called a number and I got a woman, this was early in the morning last month, last Tuesday. I got Darlene at Comcast. Don't know what city she was in, but I got Darlene at Comcast. I explained my situation. I told her when I sent the check. I told her what number the check was. I told her how much it was for. I said, the reason it was late is because the bill didn't come to me. I said, if you look at our history of paying bills, you will see we're always on time. You've never had to give us a late fee. And she checked and she said, you're right about that. And I said, that check is in the mail. That check should be to you already because that was sent out on January 5th. That should be to you already. And she said, I'll get back to you. In the interim, I got another bill. And what instead of paying the double bill, I deducted the late fee, which she told me I could do. And I paid the standard bill that I get from Comcast. In fact, yesterday I got a call from Darlene. And Darlene said, yes, we got your check. Yes, it was just as you said. Yes, we have deducted the late fee, and yes, everything is fine. Thank you. And I said, no, thank you. Thank you for not only taking the call, being there early in the morning for people like me that want to call in, but for calling back, as you said, you would. So I felt all was right. All was right in the world when that happened. We will take a break. When we come back, Chris Saliza will join us. He will talk about Inauguration Day. I am Tony Kornheiser. <laughs> You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. You can experience the epic adventure Wonder Woman 1984 in theaters and on HBO Max, now streaming at no extra cost to HBO Max subscribers. Plus, with HBO Max, stream the greatest collection of series, movies, and exclusive Max originals all in one place. Discover something new to watch, such as, I add parenthetically, The Undoing, The Flight Attendant, His Dark Materials. I am less sure about this next sentence and so much more. Go to hbomax.com or download the app to sign up and start streaming today. Wonder Woman 1984 is rated PG-13 and is available to stream on HBO Max for 31 days from theatrical premiere. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This comes from Zach Johnson, who writes, Zach Johnson here, or as you so lovingly put it last time, not that Zach Johnson. 
I was so honored to have you play my band's Clover's Revenge song last time. We have a few, uh, we have a new release that I hope you play. It's an original jig called the Avmore Jig. It means good fortune. It leads into our take of a traditional pub tune called Tell Me Ma. It's available now to stream on all the Spotify's. We would love to be the official Irish band of the Tony Cornezza show, but with your pre-existing relationship with the Dropkick Murphys, we're happy to be their understudy. We hope we, to share with you soon our song salute to you with the disoriented adventure of Peter Yarrow. That's funny. Um, this is called Avmore, uh, the Avmore Jig, okay? That's, and, that's uh, right. And it plays in Chris Saliza, our dear friend who joins us now. And I, gosh, I really want to start with Eric Diebendorf, but I'm not going to. I'm going to start yeah. with inauguration, and then I'll Although, get to Eric Diebendorf no, in a second. Didn't I specify Italian music introing me, not <laughs> Irish? Oh. Oh, we'll have to that. get that the next time. We'll, we'll get uh, the best of Dean Martin. Yeah, uh, he could maybe <laughs> do that some more for you. Yes, thank um, you. So, so, it, so, for a series of just short answers, what what happens today? Is there a specified time for inauguration? A specified place for inauguration? A specified routine for inauguration? Uh, sort of. Uh, the Constitution says that you know at noon on uh, this day. Uh, the new president is sworn in. So at 12.01 or, you know, around that, uh, Biden will be sworn in on the west front of the Capitol, which has, is the same place that two weeks ago to the day, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, you had rioters sort of, you know, with their flags and, you know, all over that area. It's, you know, one of the two uh, entrances to the to the Capitol. Well, that's where um, you can see all the way down to the yep. Washington Monument. You can see all the way yep. down the mall. Exactly yep. right. Yep. And yep. Uh, so he will be there just, just as, you know, Obama was, just as Trump was, same same thing. The, the difference will be... Um, you won't really have any crowd to speak of. Uh, Biden has encouraged people not to come. It's extremely hard to get anywhere close to uh, the U.S. Capitol uh, right now. And uh, the members of Congress, the senators, uh, uh, members of the House will be there. He'll be sworn in by Chief Justice John Roberts. They'll be more spread out than they normally are. You know, normally they're, they're pretty well packed in. Yes. Um, they obviously won't be because of COVID. And then the other big difference will be that uh, – Donald Trump will not be there. Um, he is the first president since Andrew Johnson uh, to not attend his successor's inauguration. So he is, uh, as we speak, jetting off or about to jet off to Florida. Uh, and that's that. He, he, he won't be there. He and Biden uh, have not spoken. Um, so that, that's the big difference. But, but other than that, so at 12.01, uh, Joe Biden will become the 46th president of the United States. And then uh, th there's a series of other things. He'll issue some executive orders. They'll, they'll, they'll swear in three new senators. Kamala Harris will swear in three new senators at 4 o'clock. And then tonight, Biden's going to give remarks. Okay. So I know that the chief justice will administer the oath. Is that in the Constitution or is that just become something that we do? I think that's something that we do. Do if I'm not mistaken. Although some constitutional nerd will undoubtedly correct me and tell me I'm an idiot and they should have my job. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think that's just something we do. One other thing that I should note: uh, Sonia Sotomayor uh, is going to administer the oath to Kamala Harris. And let's not forget, obviously, you know, Kamala Harris. There's so much focus on the president, understandably, but Kamala Harris will be the first uh, uh, female vice president. First. Uh, uh, person of color as the vice president. I mean, there's a lot of 
there's a lot of uh, history being made today. So much of the focus, obviously, is on Trump um, leaving uh, and Biden coming in. But obviously, Kamala Harris, uh, that's a big deal, too. So she'll be sworn in by Sonia Sotomayor. Okay, so in my lifetime, I have watched uh, inaugurations time and time and time again. There are always big parades, always mm-hmm. a big parade. Uh, Al Roker is always standing at the side yep. of the parade, and then the president comes over and talks to Al Roker. All yep. the time this happens. Is there a parade today? No. No parade. Uh, all that stuff has been – and this was not because of COVID – uh, I'm excuse, excuse me. This is not because of the U.S. Capitol rights. This is because of COVID. Uh, oh, right, right. This is this is Biden not wanting there to be large crowds. Um, now, it, it turned out that that decision, which was pre-January sixth, basically became impractical after uh, January sixth anyway, because they they weren't going to allow that to happen. Yeah. Um, but. It was that was done for COVID reasons to not gather people. So there is going to be a lot different. I mean, there's no, you know, it's going to be a, a the day will be a little bit different. I should say, like just for star power, like during the ceremony, um, Lady Gaga is going to sing the national anthem. You know, when they start the swearing in, which is I think around eleven thirty, eleven forty-five. Jennifer Lopez is going to perform. I mean, you, you know, there's. There's still going to be some pomp and circumstance, right. but just with less people and less of it, I think is probably, it'll look similar to what you've seen in the past, just not the same. Now, you said that Biden will make a speech tonight. Will he make no remarks outside at the moment of the inauguration? I don't, I think, see, I... The schedule I saw, and I just checked on this before we got on the phone, has him speaking at 8.45 tonight. Typically, he would speak sort of right after he was sworn in. He he may do that and then speak again. Honestly, I'm not totally sure. Some of this is sort of slow coming together or or slow being passed through just because there, there are so many things that are different about it, including Trump not being there, you know, Biden. Just as an example, Biden, normally you would fly on um, a government-issued plane from wherever you live to Washington the night before the inauguration. Uh, But because Trump and his administration have kind of not really acknowledged Biden being president, Biden had to fly on a private plane from Delaware to, which, by the way, is my preferred mode of travel. But, you know, he had to fly (laughs) on a a private plane from Delaware to D.C., which is like a 10-minute flight. But regardless... Um, so, so much of this is different. I, I don't know the answer to it. I'm just going off of the schedule I saw, which right. had remarks tonight. I, you're right, though. Typically, they speak. Sort a little of, bit. They're sworn in, and he says something. So, so I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if that's the case. I'm just, I'm not entirely certain. Are we expecting demonstrations in various state capitals? Or are we expecting anything in Washington, D.C., away from the site of the inauguration? Expecting, I, I think there will be some. Now, I, I, for people who don't live in and around D.C., um, they may not be familiar, but you really, you'd be hard-pressed to get anywhere close to Capitol Hill where this yep. is happening yep. today. I mean, it's really, like, I have to do TV later, humble brag, and um, I was just trying to get, you know, figure out how to get down there. I mean, it, basically almost every bridge from Virginia where I live into D.C. is closed. Um, and so I, th- there may be some, 
but I, at least in D.C., I'd be hard-pressed to think it's going to be massive. And a lot okay. of that is because of what happened two weeks ago. Now, state capitals, um, they've ordered a bunch of state capitals closed. Uh, governors have said, you know, we're just going to close this today out of an abundance of caution. Um, I don't know the answer to that. What I know to, so far is that some of these protests that were expected have been smaller than were expected. That doesn't mean there couldn't be big ones today. Uh, but I, I think what happened on January 6th has really heightened everybody's awareness and made it, if you're going to protest, at least in D.C., you're going to do it a hell of a, a, a ways from where the action is happening. Let me uh, let me move to the to the immediate future. Will there, in fact, be an impeachment hearing of Donald Trump? Yes, there will be a trial. Um, it it is it will basically be the day after the House officially moves the articles of impeachment. Obviously, Trump was impeached, formally impeached by the House last week on mm-hmm. one count of inciting uh, a, a riot or incitement. I think is what it was. When they formally transfer, it's like pressing a button. They formally transfer the articles of impeachment to the Senate. The Senate then has to start a trial by one o'clock on the day after they receive it. So yes, there will be a trial. The, the, the question is, will he be convicted, which is requires 67 senators. Democrats, as of 4 o'clock today, will have the Senate majority. They'll have 50 seats, but Kamala Harris will be breaking ties, so they'll have the Senate majority. Um, that means 17, because of math. Uh, that means 17 Democrat, Republicans excuse me, have to cross over and vote to convict Donald Trump, assuming every Democrat does. I don't think there are 17 today. Uh, I'm skeptical there will be 17 when the time comes to vote, but it's at least a possibility. Now, the thing is, he'll be convicted and removed from office, but he's already out of office. So the removal doesn't really matter. The thing to watch, then, is they then can hold another vote. If they do vote to convict and remove him, they can hold another vote that bans him from ever seeking office again. They don't have to, but they can, and that vote would require only a simple majority. So they could, if they do convict him and remove him, although it's a technicality, they then could move to a ban vote, and that's what really matters, because that would keep him from running for president again. Okay. Everybody knows where I am on this. I, I just think you're tying the hands of the incoming president when you do something like this. What do you immediately expect from Biden? He'll sign a, he'll sign a bunch of executive orders today. Um, a, a couple of them will be, I think if he's going to sign, they think, 17, which are across a bunch of uh, different areas. Uh, several of them are COVID-focused. Um, Good. Mask mandate if you're a federal employee. It should be uh, his first order of business yeah. is to stop the pandemic, yep. not and, anything and political. Be. And, and yes. will be, I think, will be his... his 24-hour-a-day production of vaccine, distribution yeah. of vaccine, using private companies to distribute it, not just government companies, and all of those things. And just one yeah. other thing I was going to add there to your private yeah. companies thing is he will invoke the Defense Production Act, which is something we had never heard of prior to coronavirus, but right. is exactly what you just said. The government can sort of lean on private companies to do things that the government wants in time. Look at Washington extreme. State. Washington State, the governor asked for help from Starbucks, yep. and I guarantee you that will be 20 times more efficient than the government, don't you yep. think? Yep, absolutely. And the truth of the matter is we're still uh, on vaccinations. We're not where we should be. So yep. uh, Biden has promised, you know, Biden has made central to his first 100 days, which since FDR has been a thing, you know, the first 100 days, well, how much can mm-hmm. you get done? He has mm-hmm. said... 100 million vaccines in the first 100 days. 100 million vaccines administered, not just produced. 
um, you know, that would be that would be about a third of the country. You know, we have 330 million people. Um, so yes, that will be the uh, the overriding focus, uh, and I think the way in which his first hundred days will probably be judged in the way that mm-hmm. I think you know Donald Donald Trump's last year has been deemed a, a sort of abject yep. failure due to the way that he handled it. So this is very good, and I appreciate this. Now tell us, I will set this up by saying Eric Devendorf was a very, very good guard at Syracuse University. He is somebody that Chris despises for his facial hair. The thin, wispy, down the side. Yeah, yeah, right, that, that, that you hate so much among Syracuse people. Chris hates them all because Chris is a Georgetown person. Syracuse in recent years has been a significantly better basketball team well, uh, than Georgetown. But, yeah. but, but true. Um, so, so what is your contact with Devendorf, who I know you, you loathe? You've said this a thousand times. So, you know, I, I, I avoid personal attacks on my Twitter, basically because the PR people <laughs> tell me to. But um, they don't care if I personally attack former college athletes. So I'll be <laughs> savage, you know, all the Syracuse people. And yeah. even Dorf is like a very active Twitter guy, and I just attack him constantly for his chin-strap beard, punk, <laughs> punk nature. Yeah. And it, it turns out, of course, you know, because I'm the worst person in the world, that he's like he's like a genuinely nice guy who's like raising money for Syracuse businesses. Yeah, I mean, it's just a classic me. I'm just like attacking him. He's so nice. So we have developed a Twitter relationship. Like a fi- he, he has been nice enough to overlook my, <laughs> my constant ad hominem attacks on him in the past. Uh, and we have developed a Twitter relationship. So I donated some money to, you know, help uh, a charitable organization that he does up there. And Very nice. so Very the nice. Georgetown-Syracuse game, which was, uh, turned out to be the last game Georgetown played because they are now in COVID uh, right. pause, the last three games have been canceled. Georgetown played Syracuse, and I stupidly, you know, drunk on my own idiocy, uh, sent him a note saying, hey, what are we betting on this game? And he said, well, if Georgetown wins, I'll wear a, a, a Georgetown shirt of your choosing and post it on Twitter. And if Syracuse wins, uh, you have to do the same for uh, a Syracuse shirt. So... Needless to say, I think either today or tomorrow, my Derek Coleman shirt will be arriving, and I will be uh, uh, posing in it. Size uh, small, you know. Obviously, I need to accentuate my <laughs> muscles. You know, yeah. Women small need to make sure the guns look appropriately accentuated. But yeah, so uh, you know, this just, this just shows my, my Georgetown fandom. I actually apologized to my kids like two weeks ago. They were in bed, and I said, "Boys, I just want to apologize for making you Georgetown fans." I mean, it's just. <laughs> So it's never a good sign when the, when the team three games are paused for COVID, you know, like COVID protocols. And I'm like, that's not the worst outcome because we don't play. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just not, not, it's not good. They were picked last in the Big East, and I think they may finish last in the Big East. But I'll at least have a picture in perpetuity of me in a bright orange T-shirt. Derek Coleman was a great player. He really great was. Player. He really great was. Player. So it, it could be a lot worse. They could have given you somebody just awful. But could have given you know, me a Devendorf jersey. That would have been terrible. <laughs> terrible. Well, I mean, to me, who are the two best players ever? Well, Carmelo, so I'm going to go to Pearl three. Pearl Washington. Pearl Washington, D- Derek Coleman, and, and Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, yep. they're the best. Yep. They're the best. All right. All right. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Know you know who it's not? Buddy Bayheim. God, that no, guy's annoying. <laughs> is there a more annoying? Not only is this, he the son of the coach who I hate, but his name is Buddy. Yeah. 
It's good, that, it, it's good that you didn't leave this appearance without savaging somebody. I, yeah, right. buddy, but he's like 20 years old. I'm the worst. Yeah, <laughs> Crystal is a boys and girls. We'll take a break. Uh, we will come back. Uh, Jeff Passan will join us and talk about the story of the uh, New York Mets general manager and how he got fired and also talk about uh, things happening with free agency. I am Tony Kornheiser. This, this is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Simply Safe ad. Everyone wants to keep their home and family safe, whether it's from a break in, a fire, flooding, or a medical emergency. Simply Safe Home Security delivers award winning 24 7 protection. With Simply Safe, you don't just get an arsenal of cameras and sensors, although you get those. You get the best professional monitors in the business. They've got your back day and night, ready to send police, fire, or EMTs when you need the most straight to your door. Simply Safe does have an arsenal of sensors and cameras that protect every inch of your home. You can set it up yourself in about 30 minutes. It's super easy. Michael, you and Nigel set it up in the studio that we've not been to in 10 months. Still monitoring. Hope it's there. Then Simply Safe's professionals take over monitoring your home 24-7 and ready to send help the moment there's an alarm. Plus, with Simply Safe, there's no long-term contract, no hidden fees or installation costs. So right now, listeners to this high-quality podcast can get a free home security camera when you purchase a Simply Safe system at simplysafe.com/tony. You also get a 60-day risk-free trial, so there's nothing to lose. Visit Simply Safe and it's S I M P L I, simplysafe.com/tony for your free security camera today. One more time, that is simplysafe.com/tony. That's a code, use the code. You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser show. This is sent to us by Johnny Romero and the family. And Johnny writes, this is my band's second time submitting music to your show. The first time was a few years back when we recorded our first EP. I was so thrilled that I got way too cute and snarky with the email I wrote, and I greatly appreciate the tasteful and respectful editing job you did with the version read on the air. Bearing that in mind, I hope you have enough time and space to give you and your team a big, much-deserved thank you on behalf of musicians across the country. We all know that lots of people are suffering in lots of ways due to this pandemic. Musicians are understandably pretty far down the list of priorities at the moment. That said, with the ongoing absence of live music, this pandemic has robbed musicians of not only their greatest joy, but their most reliable way to earn income and gain exposure. I mean, no disrespect, but I wonder if you guys truly understand what a beautiful and generous thing you do in playing all this music that's submitted to your show. We're thrilled to do it. This is a song called Midway. It is available on social media pages now. It'll be available on Apple and Spotify starting the 27th of January. That's next Wednesday. Johnny Romero and the family. Very, very nice. Michael, if people like Johnny Romero want to send in original music, how does he do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at com. And he plays in Jeff Passan of ESPN, who's been a frequent contributor on this show and has uh, had a big story along with Mina Kimes in ESPN the other day, and we'll get to that. It led to the firing of the newly hired um, Jared Porter, GM of the Mets, he's out, and he was out yesterday morning as a direct result. One and one is two, a direct result of this story. But before we get to that, overnight, Don Sutton, a Hall of Fame pitcher, most famous for being one of the Dodgers and, and coming up when the Dodgers had Koufax and Drysdale and Claude Osteen, uh, he passed away at 75 years old. He won... What did he win? 314 or 324 or something like that. He won over 300 games. And Dave Scheinin just writes glowingly of him today and his durability and his dependability. What are your thoughts, Jeff? What are your first thoughts of Don Sutton? 
Don Sutton to me is an example of how baseball is a different sport than any other. It's taken me a while, Tony. Like when I started writing about baseball, I appreciated dominance. I wanted to see the best players do the best things. And Don Sutton was never one of the best. You know, he wasn't a guy who ever finished higher than third in the Cy Young voting. He wasn't someone who struck out a ton of people. Koufax was a, a bright, shining star uh, that went and faded quickly. Don Sutton was like that old lamp that just wouldn't die. And he kept going and going and going. And, and as I've gotten older, I've, I've appreciated longevity in baseball, particularly. Yeah. It is hard to drag your ass out of bed every morning and know that you're going to go out there and compete against the best people in the world 35 to 40 times a year, which he did when he was pitching. And to do that for 23 consecutive years and to never miss a start because of an arm injury. And I'm a guy who wrote a book on arm injuries, so uh, it's particularly uh, important to me to be able to go out there and make a start every time your turn comes around in the rotation. That's what Don Sutton did, and it is a special quality uh, followed that up with a, a broadcasting career that was distinguished. I mean, he's he's just he is literally a throwback, and uh, uh, I I I grew to like him a lot more as a baseball player. I think as I myself aged and began understanding what it takes to do what he did. To underline Jeff's point uh, in the, in Dave Shining's story today. Sutton made 756 career starts. That's third all time behind yep. Cy Young, for whom all the awards are named, and Nolan Ryan. And he's said to have never missed a start across 23 seasons. From 1966 to 1986, that's 21 seasons, Sutton pitched at least 200 innings in all but one season, 1981, which was shortened by a work stoppage. Jeff, you have to admire that enormously. I mean, that, that is, what's the most important thing? Availability. Right, that's the yep. ability you like the most, and and that that's what he did. That's what he that's did. A, yeah, that's exactly right. And and to know, think about think about what he did for his managers. To know that not only are you going to get good quality baseball, or you're very likely to get a good quality six, seven, eight innings from Don Sutton, but you're never going to have to worry about going down and bringing up that guy from AAA who was either never good enough to make it in the big league yep. full-time yep. or who was at the beginning of his career and you have no idea what you're going to be getting from him. No, it's 100% right. Let me move on to the story in ESPN that led directly to the firing of Jared Porter, the Mets GM. I think that, uh, I, I think that you have to ask this question, and I know as a journalist you tried to find this out. Did the Cubs know about this? Did the Diamondbacks know about this? Did anybody in the history of Jared Porter see anything like this prior to this story? From our reporting, we have not found that yet. Um, now, there was one person with the Cubs, and when I say we have not mm -hmm. found it, we have not found that anybody high up in the organization knew about this and, and buried it. Um, from our reporting, 
there was one person in the Cubs organization who did know. This was someone who was from the home country of of the woman to whom uh, Jared Porter sent all of these text messages, sent uh, explicit images, sent a nude picture. And instead of going and reporting it up the chain and to his bosses, he more tried to play go-between between the two. He said, essentially, when I talked with him, uh, I, I just, I wanted everything to be okay. I wanted to listen to both of them. And, you know, you certainly can argue that there's a right side in this situation and a wrong side, a side that deserves to be listened to and a side that does not. Uh, but he was friends with both of them and, I don't know if he wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt, but uh, he, you know, he was like, he was like the kid whose parents are fighting and says, I just want everything to go away yeah. it, because this was, this was so ugly and it was so clear to anyone who saw it, just how egregious it was. And, you know, I was talking with someone in the Mets organization the night that the story ran. And I, I had spoken with Sandy Alderson earlier, and, and you know what this is like, Tony. You, you give him a sense of what this story says um, beforehand because it's the, it's the courtesy that you offer and because I think it's the right thing to do. And the, the person in the Mets organization said, this is so much worse than we thought it was going to be. Well, it is. I mean, if you read the story, and I have read the story, it is a, it's an open and shut case of sexual harassment. It's, it's just open and shut. And, and yeah. so firing is exactly what had to have happened when you confronted, either in person or over the phone, Jared Porter about this. What was his initial reaction? Um, I think he was taken aback. Uh, you know, I, I brought up, uh, I've known Jared Porter, by the way, for a while now you know, going back to the Cubs days. And uh, when, when you make a phone call like that, you, you have to be up front with him. And so I said, listen, man, uh, I've got some really difficult questions I'm going to ask you. And I hadn't talked to them in, uh, in a couple of months. So probably a little longer than that. So he, you know, he has no idea what this might be if, if I'm just messing around with him. And, and I think from the beginning, it was very clear. I brought up text messages uh, that he exchanged for the reporter. And he said, uh, I asked him if that's, uh, if that sounded familiar. And he's like, I'm not quite sure. So uh, I got into a little more detail. She was a, from a foreign country and it was back in 2016 and he said, yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, and I said, you sent, uh, you sent texts, you sent images, uh, and, and you sent explicit photos. And he said, no, 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 I didn't, I didn't send any pictures. And when he said that, I was like, well, yeah, you did. Cause I'm looking at him, you know, I, you know, and, and in that situation, in that situation, you know, in hindsight, I'm, I'm putting myself in his shoes right there, if I'm confronted with something that I know was wrong and in any, you know, I think he knows it was wrong. I, I think any, anybody 
with a with a functioning brain knows that it's wrong his his first instinct was to minimize what he did now i don't know if it's because he had purged it from his mind because he had tried to forget it because he was embarrassed by it or because he was just trying to lie his way out of it and and that was the first instinct to to do mm-hmm. but uh i i think pretty quickly he understood the gravity of the situation and understood that this was going to have a profound harm on his career and a profound impact on his life. Let me get to one thing from a journalism standpoint, because I'm always interested in this. I found it very interesting that um, you were aware uh, in 2017 of the existence of these texts and had viewed them in 2017 and did not go to print because the woman who had been abused by these texts and images was worried about the impact on her particular career. I, uh-huh. I just wonder, A, how, I think you did the right thing, I do, by not printing it, but I wonder how it came about that, that she then decided in recent times, no, I'm going to go forward with this now. So let me let me run through timeline here. I actually did not know about them in 2017. I was still working in Yahoo uh, at Yahoo at that point. But uh, our colleague and friend Mina Kimes, she knew about uh, them. She did know about them. Yes, mm-hmm. and so Mina uh, had had gotten the texts from a source and and saw them and was naturally horrified and. Uh, connected with the woman who agreed to talk with her. And they discussed the possibility of doing a story about Porter and about the text. Uh, The woman at some point, I don't know exactly when, decided that she did not want to do the story anymore. And she didn't want to do the story because she was still working in journalism at that point. And and her, her work had taken her... To, to very uncomfortable places. She, uh, you know, when she went to different ballparks, she worried that she was going to get a text from Jared Porter. Uh, th- this was not some sort of thing that uh, the texts were sent. She said, please never text me again. He apologized for what he had done, and it went away. There, there were lingering effects of this, the effects that still, to this day, are in this woman's life. Um, so she didn't want it for her to harm her career. Uh, she ended up going back to her home country. And when she was back in her home country, uh, Mina kept in touch with her. And she, you know, she was following along what happened in Jared Porter's career, even after she left the business and went into finance and saw that he had ascended to, to Mets GM and in his, introductory press conference, Tony, he talked about it being a dream job. And, and here's a woman who had done nothing but try to do what journalists do, which is make a new source. And he had subjected her to some pretty awful stuff. And she was the one who lost her dream job on account of that. That didn't seem right. That didn't seem fair. That, that this person who had done this was ascending in his, in his career with, with impunity. And 
I, I don't sit and look at this and say that this was revenge. I think that all of us, when something bad happens to us, reach a point where we're like, is this how the world really operates? And if this is how the world really operates, doesn't it deserve to know? Doesn't it deserve to know so that in an even greater position of power than he was in before, he doesn't subject others the same thing he did to me. Isn't it important to know to expose the way that women aren't just treated Tony in baseball, but in sports, period? And uh, it was courageous of her to do what she did. It was brave of her to do what she did. Uh, she did it knowing that there's the possibility that she's going to be outed um, and that there are going to be demonstrable effects back at home for her because the country in which she lives does not tend to, to rally around women who are in the middle of sexual scandals. It, it, it's backward. It's antediluvian, but uh, it's the reality where she lives. And she, t she did this at great personal risk. And uh, I know a lot, a lot of women in the sports industry yesterday who were so, so thankful for it. Now, thanks. Thanks for all of that and that detail. Um, I just, I, I'll get off that and thank you for that. And I just need to ask you because you're a baseball guy, um, Kyle Schwarber, John Lester, free agents who have signed one year deals. You were looking around. I was looking around for a team to spend money on a free agent. Apparently George Springer, who is a former MVP of the world series is going to go to Toronto. Is that a long-term deal? Is that a multi-year deal or is it another short deal? That is a six-year, $150 million deal, Tony, and it, is, it will be the biggest contract this offseason. And, and George Springer was always expected to get that. Uh, he did really well in this market, and he did really well for being a guy who's in his 30s and who in all likelihood is not going to be a long-term center fielder. Now, don't get me wrong, George Springer's kept himself in phenomenal shape, and he's an amazing athlete. Uh, guys just tend to age out of center field. We've seen others in that position, and uh, I think ultimately he's going to end up in a corner, and it's a hefty price for a corner. But the Blue Jays, uh, they want to win. They really want to win. And when you have Bo Bichette, who's dynamic uh, hitter at shortstop, and Vlad Guerrero Jr., who's primed for a breakout, and Kevin Biggio, Teoscar Hernandez, I mean, you can go on and on down that lineup. Uh, they're good, and, and I think the Yankees and Rays had a little uh, lump in their throat yesterday when that signing broke. Yeah, you're looking at Toronto and San Diego as teams, you know, that were nothing special for a long period of time. Certainly San Diego, not yep. anything special. Toronto has some World Series titles, but they are at, uh, you know, extremes in terms of travel, uh, and, and Seattle <laughs> would be another one of those. But, but teams that have not done well for a while are going to make a big impact in the next couple of years. <laughs> Excuse me, Jeff, thanks so much. We'll talk soon, okay? Thanks for having me, Tony. Jeff Passon, very, very good. We will take a break. We will come back with emails and jingles. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Hard to transition to this read, but I'll do my best. Let's talk about love. Yep, we're doing it. If there's one <laughs> thing that got us through this past year, other than our favorite teams winning, uh, sort of got tired of winning after, after these years, it is love. Love and underpants. And that means getting extra cheesy for the ones we love most on Valentine's Day. MeUndies is here to help you win over your Valentine. 
They just released their V-Day collection so you and your partner can match through it all. And if you're single, no problem. You can just aspire to the life we have where we have the boys doing the culling of the underpants dance as they fling them around the bedroom. The culling of the underpants culling dance. of the wonderful. underpants. Just wonderful. Show yourself some love in the comfiest undies and loungewear that make you feel amazing because... Really, you deserve that. Now they have this highlighted question. What underwear are you wearing at this very moment? It's very personal, but it feels like I have to answer it because it's written in bold. Mm. I checked today, <laughs> and I'm wearing a geometric pattern with blue and pink. Again, Mundy should know this because it's part of their listing. Does it feel as if you're sitting on a cloud? Again, feels like I'm sitting at a table at Uncle Benny's table. MeUndies are made with sustainable, breathable, softer-than-soft fabric and available in a range of sizes from extra small to 4XL. MeUndies membership gives you and your boo a new pair of undies or socks every month. Members get discounted pricing on everything MeUndies makes as well as early access to major print launches like that geometric circle, blue and pink. Early access, it's what you'll live for. MeUndies has a great offer for Tony's listeners. For any first-time purchasers, you get 15% off and free shipping. MeUndies also has their problem-free philosophy. If you're not satisfied with any product, for any reason, they'll refund or exchange it. No caveats, no questions. To get your 15% off your first order and free shipping, go to MeUndies.com slash code. That's MeUndies.com slash code. Again, I'll try this in just a slightly different call to action. Go to MeUndies.com slash Tony. We don't even know what the code is. Is it just code? Is that the code? We're doubling down on code. Tony K. Oh, perfect. Use Let's the code, people. To get your 15% off your first order and free shipping, go to MeUndies.com slash Tony K. That's MeUndies.com slash Shouldn't they have put Tony that in K. there instead of just code, the generic code? Shouldn't they have done well, that? I think we just put it in there, and we, we could have clipped that, but now I think it has to stay. Yeah. Okay, good. All right, good job. <laughs> Thanks. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. That is Dr. Ian Harrington, am I right? That is correct. He's an emergency room doctor at Sibley Hospital. That's wonderful. Just feels, wonderful. Feels like it's straight out of the Meriton Ball. Just great. <laughs> Nigel, why don't you do the Bethesda Bagels ad? Bethesda Bagels, we love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then stop on in. You may get the bagel sandwiches, which we got today. The sausage yeah, sandwiches uh, were uh, marked. Uh, uh, they're not marked. Going to have to open them up. We don't know what's in them. We oh, don't know. Oh, I know. I believe they're all sausage. I think that's Well, that would why. be great. That would yes. be great. Make yes, me happy. But stop on in. You'll be thrilled. We love them. You will as well. That'll do it for the show today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say we have nothing to fear but fear itself and bridges and ferries flying, of course. That has to be on there. And I guess pretty much any form of technology. But that's it. That's the list. Thanks to our <laughs> guests today, Chris Saliza, Jeff Passan. Thanks to our sponsors today, Simply Safe, MeUndies, and HBO Max, where you can stream Wonder Woman 1984 right now. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Radio.com. If you get the show through iTunes, please leave us a review. From Pete Miller in Jacksonville Beach, Florida. I listened to your podcast over the weekend. I heard cries of confusion over why light is inconsistent after the winter solstice. Your confusion is warranted because the sunrise and sunset have their own solstice days. In Washington, the sunset solstice was December 5th at 445. 
The sunrise solstice was January 5th at 727. So the sunset had a 30-day head start on lengthening the days. I hope this helps. Well, if that's true, that does help. From Tim Aaron in Buffalo, New York, after listening to your discussion regarding sunrise and sunset not changing by the same amount, you're correct, and here's why. The Earth's orbit is an ellipse, not a circle. The elliptical orbit means the Earth moves slightly faster in its orbit when it's closer to the sun and slower further away. This causes the sunrise and sunset to shift at different rates. Being an engineer, I decided to develop a computer model of the Earth's orbit around the sun and daylight information for anywhere on the planet. I attached a printout of the solar calendar for your old podcast home, Chatter. There will be only minor deviations local to that location. There are four interesting items of note. The earliest sunset is December 7th at 4.45 p.m., not December 21st. The latest sunrise is January 4th. This is buttressing what, what we just read. January 4th at 7.27 a.m. By this date, the sunset has moved back 15 minutes. So, so we're good now. So I think we're good now. And, and please, as a shout-out, a shout-out to my son, Edward Aaron, who's an accounting senior at Binghamton and sports editor for Pipe Dream. Well, we should have applied for the scholarship. Thank you, Tim. He should have applied. From uh, Here's another one. My name is Gino Agnelli. I'm 54-year-old hospital pharmacy director in Florence, Alabama. I'm 6'4", 240, right, left, left, right, second right out of the roundabout and left. I often mine the content of the pod for memorable quotes I can incorporate into conversations and meetings to quietly offer dog whistles to other littles. I've scored gold with the obvious use the code and sanctimonious Subaru drivers. After Friday's pod, I can't wait to bring the house down with what will instantly become an all-time classic. Slip it to me sometime when I'm drunk, then see if I like it. You can't write this stuff unless you have a bick. Uh, Kevin Burke in Chicago. Sunday, January 17th, Bucktown, Chicago, approximately 9.14 a.m. In line on the sidewalk at the local coffee and bagel place. Goddess and Grocer, free ad. Waiting on pickup order with seven or eight other folks. Barista says, Kelly, two coffees and three bagel sandwiches. I say out loud, ha, they got the bagel sandwiches today. People look at me weird. I go back to looking at my phone. Orders get called and a Cubs hoodie guy grabs his bag. He walks by and says, Got the bagel sandwiches. I turned and said, La cheeserie. He kept walking. From Pat Pusher in Keller, Texas. My name is Pat Pusher, a.k.a. Old School Nana. I live in Keller, Texas. Yesterday, my granddaughter played me a recording since it was about me. After she explained what a podcast was, I was pretty excited to know that my grandson, her husband of over six years, Patrick Ratliff, sent in a message to your show. A message. Like a message in a bottle. I was excited. <laughs> That is until I finished listening to it. Here's my rebuttal to his comments. Yes, I'm old school, but I should be. I'm 74. Yes, I cook the old-fashioned way, just like my mama did in Raleigh, North Carolina. So I would never change certain items because I'm afraid she might turn over in her grave if I did. Yes, I do use butter and not mayonnaise to make my outstanding grilled cheese sandwiches. But if I did use mayonnaise on my grilled cheese, it would be Dukes, the best mayor in the States, best mayo in the states of Texas and North Carolina. Patrick is family, and he has to know that I and the rest of the crew will always have his back, and we would defend it against all enemies. But he also must understand that he needs to show respect to an old lady called Nana, since she is always right. P.S. <laughs> if you guys are ever in Texas, stop by and I'll cook you some good Texas food with butter. From Michael Long in Houston, Texas. Please stop talking about mayonnaise. I love your show, but if this continues, I'll be forced to take a brief hiatus until it is safe to return. Let me explain. When I was in elementary school at Westbrook Elementary in Bethesda, Maryland, I was the kid that got lice. Instead of buying the very effective and safe-to-use anti-lice shampoo at the drugstore, my mother decided to use a home remedy. This involved coating my hair in what felt like an entire jar of mayonnaise and a shower cap and letting it sit for four hours in an attempt to suffocate the bugs. I don't recall if it was blue plate, 
Duke's or Hellman's mayonnaise, had to be but Sir it did not kill the lice. It did succeed oh, no. in providing a severe aversion to mayonnaise that I've slowly worked to overcome for the last 25 years of my life. To this day, food items such as potato salad that smell too much like mayo make me gag. Listening to all the mayo talk the last couple of weeks brings back some terrible memories and may potentially cause a setback in my recovery. Please stop before this descends into putting mayo on your payday bar. Now, are you okay with the sound of it coming out of the squirt bottle? From Squelch. Squirt. Doc Bradley in Las Vegas. Please stop talking so much about food. I was listening to the podcast around 1130 last night, and for the third podcast in a row, you're still talking about mayonnaise on the outside of grilled cheese. I dragged myself out of bed into the kitchen to make one because by the time you two stopped rambling, I was starving. And it is better with mayonnaise on the outside and a little inside. I prefer crust. From Patrick Smith in Annandale, Virginia, I've been following the butter versus mayo debate carefully. So last night I told the woman that I'm related to by marriage that we should have tomato soup and grilled cheese sandwiches for dinner. In preparation, I purchased some Duke's mayonnaise in order to test out Michael's recommendation. Well, I followed Michael's instructions, and the result was a spectacular grilled cheese. The bread was grilled perfectly, had great crunch. So now I need to know the rest of Michael's grilled cheese secrets. What type of bread does he recommend? I used a Tuscan pane. Tuscan pane, P-A-N-E, pane. Bread from Trader Joe's. What kind of cheese does Michael use? Does he stick with the classic American cheese? Does he use a sharp Wisconsin cheddar? Would he ever try something crazy and use pepper jack cheese? That's a very personal question. That's like getting into the MeUndies. I'll have to think about that if I want to share that level of detail. From Mark Gorman in Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada. I live in New Brunswick, just a short drive from the beautiful state of Maine. But try caramelized onions. My most cherished childhood memories are heading to places like Rockport, Freeport, and Bar Harbor and gorging myself on your foreign-to-me candy while my father grilled over charcoal at roadside rest stops. In a pre-pandemic world, my wife and our friends would often make the five-hour drive to concerts in Portland, Maine, a fantastically underrated city in many ways. As we cross the border, I always take time to amuse my car mates by exclaiming aloud, Welcome to the beautiful state of Maine, boys and girls. The Maine state bird is the black-capped chickadee. The Maine state tree is the eastern white pine. And the Maine state car is the 2008 Subaru Outback Wagon in Forest Green. It gets laughs every time, even with my wife. From Clarabelle in Des Moines. Clarabelle. I'm a cow. I admit I've never sent an email and typing with hooves uh, is not an easy task, but your disparaging comments about my species has infuriated me to the point to respond. <laughs> me and my fellow bovines enjoy listening to your podcast while grazing quietly in the fields and chewing our cud. You get paid handsomely to make your inane comments, but insulting us is a covered bridge too far, so you can continue to belittle our intelligence, all the while anxiously awaiting your delivery of friends and relatives that you say you voraciously consume. Voracious is hard to spell with hooves. V's and C's, V's, very <laughs> difficult. However, I'm calling BS... And say, based on your rapidly diminishing size, you're clearly a salad muncher, no longer a carnivore. You're welcome to join us in the fields of Des Moines so we can enjoy the vegetarian lifestyle you have now clearly and thankfully adopted. Last item, ketchup on a friend brings me to tears. That's actually sent by Steve Eisenberger. From Mark Grabowski in Oxford, Connecticut. As a fellow sky watcher, I wanted to correct a common misconception which you fell into today, although I am sure you just misspoke. The winter solstice is the shortest day of the year only in the northern hemisphere. It is the longest day of the year in the southern hemisphere, which has been corrected by four, by far before, I'm sorry, and yes, I drive a Subaru. Now I've reached Mike from Burke, Virginia's email. So nasty. So nasty. Hmm. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. Come on now. That means everybody just cool out. Will you cool out, everybody?
tell me ma when I go home The boys don't leave the girls alone They pull my hair and seal my comb And that's alright when I go home She's handsome, she is pretty She's a girl from Belfast City She is a court in one, two, three Oh please won't tell me who is she Albert Moody says he loves her All the boys are fighting for her A knock at the door and a ring at the bell Said my true love, dear are you well Out she comes his white as snow With rings on her fingers and bells on her toes Judy Delaney says she'll die If she doesn't get a fella with a roving eye Tell me ma when I go home The boys don't leave the girls alone They pull my hair and seal my comb Well that's alright when I go home She's handsome, she is pretty She's a girl from Belfast City She is a court in one, two, three Oh please don't tell me who is she From the sky, she's as sweet as apple pie. She'll get her true lad by and by. When she gets a lad of her own, she won't tell her mother when she comes home. Let the boys come and say, Will for Talbert Moody, she loves still. I tell me, ma, when I go home, the boys don't leave the girls alone. They pull my hair and steal my comb, and that's alright when I go home. She is handsome, she is pretty. She's a girl from Belfast City. She is a court in one, two, three. Oh, please, want to tell me who is she? Tell me ma when I go home The boys don't leave the girls alone They pull my hair and seal my comb And that's alright when I go home She is handsome, she is pretty She's a girl from Belfast City She is a court in one, two, three Oh please won't you tell